I think there's some level of natural talent even within esports. But I do agree with the point also that it potentially is a broader uh, inclusion of who can be a professional in esports, but it comes down to the work you put in and the time you put in. I think some people will find that if they put in a lot of time and energy uh, and invest focus into the games that they want to be good at, then they'll naturally improve and get to a level. But some people might find that after just a couple of months of work and hard efforts and that kind of thing, they can achieve something. Hello, my name's Gianni, and I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. Here at Pixel Sift, we love learning about video game creators from the developers, the people who play the games, and to people who make the media that we all tune into. And if you love video games, it's so clear to see how much of an impact esports or competitive video game competitions are having on the way that games are made and how they're played. Jordan Mays, who's also known as Elfish Guy, and Brandon Langiano, who goes by Raven, are esports casters. They talk viewers through the highs, the lows, those clutch saves, and those crushing disappointments of every match. They're part of a new video season of Red Bull Response, where they share their expertise on how players can improve their skills in Dota, in CSGO, and Rainbow Six Siege. Now, there is a frenetic energy that comes with playing games competitively. But for both Elfish Guy and Raven, it was actually in those quiet moments in between games that it became clear that something they loved doing had actually become their careers. Uh, for me, I had been doing a lot of commentary work within Australia, sort of domestically and flying around. I think my first gig was like in Adelaide that, that wasn't one that was in my bedroom. And then uh, eventually that sort of got a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger until inevitably I got invited to an event in China. And then on the way back home, like when I was sitting in the in the plane thinking, you know, like, oh, maybe, maybe I could do this sort of as a career. Maybe I can make this a reality. And then come 2016 is when I was uh, first employed by ESL as a full-timer. So it didn't take too long. It was maybe less than six months before I had a full-time job in esports after that point. For me, it really was, I guess it was also a moment of reminiscing in just a hotel room, um, but it was the first time that I was flown completely like paid for by Ubisoft publisher for a, a, a party that they were hosting for a launch of a new season. I was just laying in the hotel room and it was kind of like, I'm, someone paid for me to be here. Like they want me here for this event uh, and to just think that like your opinion matters in an environment like that and then to see the event and all the media involved and just how big it actually is, it was really surreal. And I still don't think that's really ever set in for me that this is something that I do and can continue to do as a job. Still more needed for Ustillo and Nifty now as Rops goes down and just one player left to find. Sticko, he'll drop, that's overtime. Renegades have done it and they still survive here on Inferno being smoked out of sight now. This is something that we didn't see happen before. Diesel will have to push deep. He is going long and getting this plant down. And the Pulse knows it now. The C4 is coming oh! out, but it's denied. Fantastic play from Wildcard. All of a sudden, it's on Suzu. The plant is down. Post-plant situation. Wildcard secure the overtime. We're starting to see a lot more of the language around traditional sports be applied to esports. And we actually see crossover directly with AFL 
with soccer, with the supercars being a part of online competitive video games. Do you think that language and that framing is actually helpful for people understanding what esports is? Um, I, don't, I definitely think they're different things. Like there are ways that you can look to sports and esports and sort of draw those comparisons. And I think there's a lot that sports, uh, sorry, that esports can learn from traditional sports. There are a lot of um, variables within esports that you know aren't necessarily there for sports, and very much the same for sports that aren't there for esports. Like one thing, for example, would be that. In sports, right, you might have a season that runs over winter or over summer, but you can't necessarily play the game over the other season. Whereas for esports, I mean, you're kind of just free to do whatever you want, which is, a kind, I guess, kind of what we're starting to see a little bit with obviously the current situation, the current landscape, um, such that it is, right, where esports now is kind of being the, the only sport or the quote-unquote the only sport that is running at the moment. So I feel like there's a, a few boundaries maybe that sort of, hinder sports that don't hinder esports which is kind of funny to sort of talk about because normally it's been um the opposite can you can you expand on that a little bit i mean talk about what you thought had sort of hindered esports in the past i mean a lot of it comes down to money right budget is is always a thing that i've heard time and time again it's like can we do this it's like well no we we don't have the budget for that so uh that is definitely something that's starting to kind of heal a little bit as esports gets i wouldn't say like a little bit more mainstream or anything like that i don't necessarily think that there's too much going on there but but i do think uh what we call non-endemic brands that are not directly tied to gaming uh are sort of starting to come into the space as sponsors and with that obviously a lot more money starting to roll in as well so I think that's obviously one of the major things is is that the money is now starting to sort of come in and hopefully that continues. And and Raven, what about you? Do you think, I guess, using the framing of traditional sports, is that a helpful thing for esports, maybe for people understanding it uh, from from a perspective outside of, of gaming? Yeah, I think it does help bridge the gap a little bit because people that haven't spent a lot of time around video games, I think we just see it as some kind of electronic entertainment or it's just a video game. I don't really understand what being competitive at a video game means. So I think likening it to traditional sports does help bridge that. There are games like Rocket League, for example, which I think is a really good uh, kind of bridging the gap style of game because it's it's car soccer, right? So people watch that. They already know what soccer is. There's only a small variable there. It's somebody playing a video game with a rocket-controlled car. But that's really accessible for people to watch. And I guess this argument about what constitutes a sport and what is not a sport has always been around with something like chess, for example, which is like a physical esport in that it's just a board game and it's very much cognitive based. Um, but most people don't consider that a sport and it's kind of in a league of its own. And I guess esports is another pull in that argument. I mean, you both kind of touched on this right now because of coronavirus, COVID-19, esports is the only code in town. It's the only one that's running. Do you think this might be the time where it hits the mainstream? Um, I think it's still going to be like a gradual thing. Obviously, this is just sort of uh, another boost, I suppose, if you were to, to take it that way. Like if I were to talk from my own uh, sort of personal experiences, I've noticed a lot of uh, newer people coming in and, and watching a lot of our broadcasts. We've had pretty crazy record broadcast numbers and right now obviously in just in the gaming sphere like most of the the games right now are sort of hitting record player bases and concurrent players and that kind of thing so there's no doubt that it's sort of helping but i'm not sure that it's necessarily going to be like that that instant fix or that uh that 
moment that sort of turns everyone away maybe from sports and brings them to esports i think that's going to be more of a generational thing particularly for like when people like myself and, and brandon probably have kids uh hopefully not too soon but uh you know when when those kids then grow up right they'll probably be like that generational shift where they've sort of been born and bred with esports whereas even still for my generation you know i was very much born and bred on on sports and esports was only a thing for maybe the last five or six or maybe seven years of my life. Uh, I think this current situation does help provide a bit of spotlight to esports, but I, I have to think that also once everything goes back to some kind of normality, uh, let's say the supercars, for example, I'm sure those fans that were watching the esport variant would probably just go back to, to the traditional, maybe with just a, a heightened sense of Oh, okay. Well, the esports scene is there, and it's not a bit of a—it's not a joke because the actual races, you know, competed in a couple of those events. Uh, but I think it will take quite a bit of time, and as things do in Australia, it'll take a little bit longer here than in the rest of the world. Of course, esports isn't immune to this. Those big, large-scale arena-style events, things like the IEM series, the Melbourne Esports Open. There is a question about whether or not they can be safely held in the future uh, when it comes to public health. Would it be disappointing if an event like that isn't able to go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are these are like the events that we all sort of look forward to. Even if you're not necessarily directly tied to that event as someone that's working in it or playing in it, um, to speak to something like an IEM Sydney, which again, you mentioned would be IEM Melbourne this year. Um, that's, I think, like the one event that every community gets behind for the entire year. Everyone wants to go to that. Like that's the event of the year in Australia. And so if that were not to go ahead, that would obviously be very very disappointing so uh, i think yeah like it's like the the crown jewel essentially of australian esports and um very much the same obviously for other events around the world if these arena size events are not going ahead then you definitely do lack something you you lack a a little bit of that excitement and that hype that maybe esports has been able to capture in the last few years because at the end of the day um those are the coolest events to work and to to watch because of that, that audience interaction so if you you don't get them yeah that's definitely um quite disappointing yeah, as Jordan said, uh, we were still able to conclude our Pro League season that was running in, a, in the midst of all this, which was season 11. And we have six Masters starting up just next week. Uh, so things are still really moving af- moving forward. It's just those land finals that we've had to cancel. And uh, that's, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment because, as Jordan said, we get really excited for those events. They're what you work towards. They're really fun and interactive. Uh, and another sense of that is the community because especially when you play online in a team environment, uh, you become really close with these people because you're working with them a lot and to actually catch up with them and play face-to-face but also hang out and just enjoy that situation uh, together is also a really great feeling. Uh, it's likewise as commentators. You, you cast online or you meet up in a studio once a week, but then to cast that big event and have that conclusion has a real big satisfaction. Uh, so it's unfortunate that we don't have land finals at the moment, but hopefully uh, that will be coming back soon as it is a real big part of how esports runs and builds through its ebbs and flows of even storylines, if you want to call it that. Uh, there needs to be some kind of culmination at the end of a season. A little bit uh, cheap, you could call it, when it just ends online. Um, but at least we are still able to operate and push forward Things are generally quite normal. It's just lacking that, you know, bookend. 
Onto the bomb site all together, but they're peeking the wrong angles. Cold Zera has a chance now. Two have fallen, and it's on to Frozen. He gets the job done. Cold Zera, what is that? Virtue with a big push. That's a 3v4 advantage to Fnatic now. It's all changed. Arrow with some advantage, but that's swung into favor of Fnatic. Ysera might get the frag into Virtue here. Oh, a flick from oh Virtue. And just finally, the series you're part of, Red Bull Response, is all about people improving the way they play games. Maybe it's moving up a ranking competitive, or maybe it's even thinking about moving into playing esports professionally. What's the one tip you would give to people to change the way they think about and how they play games? Uh, I think for me, it would be just to review your gameplay because I think uh, a lot of people that are sort of floundering and not being able to necessarily progress forward before they get to like a really high level and where they're really looking to improve in a sort of a professional sense and not looking back at their gameplay and, and recognizing their own mistakes. They're sort of just playing and hoping that if they continue to play, they'll get better just by virtual sort of practice makes perfect. But that ethos, I mean, definitely does have some merit, but I think you would improve a lot quicker if you were to go back and, you know, look back at some of your VODs or your demos or your recordings or whatever it may be for whatever game um, and trying to recognize, okay, I may have messed up here and, and this is why I messed up and sort of be cognizant of the mistakes that you're making as opposed to, yeah, just trying to grind through it and play until perfection. Uh, for me, I would say about keeping your ego in check. Uh, and that kind of works just into mindset in general. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how skilled you are if your mindset or your ego is at a, a point of weakness. So if you're not taking on feedback or as Jordan said, like not watching your matches back because you're just overly confident in your abilities, then you're really limiting what you can achieve. And also, if you're really highly skilled, but you easily get frustrated and get tilted and then just stop talking to your teammates, for example, in a match, well, that's going to cost you a game anyway. So it's got to be a balance between working on the game and your actual skill, but also ensuring that you're keeping your mindset in check and actually being a good, positive teammate, because otherwise your team won't really reach the achievements that you, you want to get to. That's Brendan Langiano or Raven. And before that, you heard from Jordan Mays, who's also known as Elfish Guy. You can catch them both in Season 2 of Red Bull Response, giving out their tips to improve your game. The music you're listening to, it's called Trendy, and it's by Paris Heller. There's a written version of this story up on the Pixel Sift website. That's pixelsift.com.au, where we've got interviews, we've got videos and articles. And if you like this podcast, why not subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That's all for now. Until next time, have fun.